Chapter Eight of the Forgery by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight. There is a small house in the purlieus of fashion, surrounded on every side by mansions five times as big as itself. You know it quite well, dear reader. You have passed it a dozen times or more, and looked up and wondered what it did there, surrounded as it is by the mansions of ancient aristocracy for the part of the town in which it is situated is not one of the new rookeries of new people which have risen up to the south-west and north-west of the capital upon spots that were fields within these thirty years it is tall and thin and brown like a spinster of a certain age at a county ball amongst a row of bland and brilliant dowagers quite the sort of house in short which the wonderful george robins would have advertised for sale as a unique bachelor's residence situate in the very heart of the fashionable world commanding advantages rarely met with singly but never perhaps united except in this most charming abode nevertheless it was not the residence of a bachelor at all nor of a married man nor of a spinster old or young it was the town-house and indeed the only house of a very excellent and respectable widow lady with a moderate income and the best intentions in the world but not the best wits to guide them having spoken of her income i must make that matter quite clear she had just seven hundred a year and would not indeed have had that had it not been for the care and circumspection of a very prudent brother who had interfered to see the affairs of her marriage settlement properly conducted i need not add after this that there dwelt lady fleetwood when she was alone her household consisted of a footman well powdered and laced a cook a housemaid and her own maid a somewhat extravagant establishment considering her income but in all other things she was very economical at least she thought so and maria monkton fully agreed in her opinion she did not pamper any of the appetites nor indeed any of the vanities of the flesh except in the instance of the powdered footman her table was always regulated with great exactness and her certain number of glasses of wine was never exceeded her dresses by the skill of her maid appeared in various forms with very great success and when maria was with her there was always a carriage at her command nor in truth when maria was at bolton park did lady fleetwood go without for a chariot and a pair of horses were always left at the stables with a particular request from the niece that her aunt would use them every day lest the horses should grow frisky for want of exercise when maria was in town however the case was different three or four servants were always in the hall the whole establishment was increased the little house had more occupants than it seemed capable of containing more indeed than it really did contain at night and then as this was all for maria monkton's convenience maria monkton insisted upon paying the whole expenses now as upon an average maria was eight months out of the twelve with her aunt and two or three of the remaining four lady fleetwood passed at bolton park the fact of her income fully meeting her expenditure 
and leaving her a little surplus at the end of the year may be accounted for lady fleetwood it is true did not understand it altogether and would sometimes run up her accounts with a somewhat bewildered air and in the end give up the task acknowledging that she never had a head for figures it might be a little wrong of maria thus to mystify her aunt but she was a dear good girl notwithstanding and accustomed to pet lady fleetwood from her own childhood she well knew there was only one way of managing her and what that way was she even went farther than saving her good aunt's income for her by taking the greater share of all her expenses upon herself she calculated that one or two events one very common and one universal might occur to herself that she might die or that she might marry and to put it out of the power of any one to leave her aunt in embarrassed circumstances her first act on coming of age was to settle upon her without her knowing a word of the matter a sufficient sum to make her income a very comfortable one in the month of may then about the middle of the day lady fleetwood was seated in her drawing-room writing little notes an occupation of which she was rather fond maria was out of town but expected to return on that day or the following morning and all was duly prepared for her reception the curtains of the room were partly drawn to keep out too much light for the house was on the sunny side of the square and in the mitigated glow lady fleetwood though her hair was now very grey and the wrinkled impress of time's claw was on her fair skin showed many traces of that great beauty which had once distinguished her she had just sealed one small billet and begun a second when she heard the near rush of wheels through the roll of many others more distant and a carriage stopped at her own door it was too early for ordinary visitors who with the due economy of time always choose the hour to call when they are likely to find their dear friends absent it is maria said lady fleetwood to herself she has come up early the next instant the door was flung open but not by a servant and without announcement a young and good-looking man entered with a light and gay step and threw wide open his arms before the good lady here i am my dear aunt here i am cried charles marston safe and sound from perils by land and perils by water perils by robbers perils by cooks and perils by chambermaids come to the nepotal arms and banish all anxieties upon the bosom of kindred love charles charles you mad boy cried lady fleetwood embracing him tenderly how can you startle me so you know how nervous i am why you have come back six months before you intended and three days answered charles laughing which means to say my dear aunt flea that you think i have come back six months too soon i'll be affronted i'll pout really well i never as the kelnerin at brixton said when i kissed her before company this is the coolest reception of a returned prodigal that i ever heard of how can you be so absurd charles exclaimed his aunt what is a kelnerin where is brixton do you mean brixton charles burst into a shout of laughter patted his aunt's cheek in the most paternal manner and led her back to her seat by the tips of her fingers haven't time my dear aunt haven't time he said 
I'll tell you all about Kelnerins and Brixons by and by, if you're a good girl. Just now, I've got a particular friend and travelling companion in the carriage with me, Mr. Winkworth, the most extraordinary piece of yellow skin and dry bones you ever saw. He comes from Egypt, and I have brought him over, intending to present him to the British Museum or the Zoological Society, either as an extraordinary and almost unique specimen of the fossil man, or the only instance in Europe of the living mummy. I must bring him upstairs and introduce him to you, and you must ask him to dinner. I've invited him already in your name. Was not that a kind, considerate nephew? Impossible, my dear Charles, exclaimed Lady Fleetwood in a great flutter. I'm really not prepared. You forget, my dear boy, my small means. I'm not always ready to receive people at dinner. A stranger, too. There is no turbot, nothing but some slices of cod, and— Never mind, never mind, my dear aunt. It will do quite well. Cod is excellent, exclaimed Charles Marston. I have not tasted cod for a year and a half, and I'll answer for it. My mummy has not seen such a thing since he was cook to one of the Ptolemies. I forget which, but he'll tell you all about it. I'll go and bring him. Heaven on earth, I do believe the carriage is driving off. And downstairs he ran as fast as possible, but only to see his carriage and four driving round the square at a very rapid rate. Why, where are they gone? What the devil's the matter with them? cried Charles. The gentleman inside told the boys to drive him to Lloyd's Hotel, sir, said Lady Fleetwood's servant. Just on the opposite side, sir. The carriage will be back in a minute. "'Well, the old gentleman must have his own way, I suppose,' said Charles Marston. "'And so I'll go up to my dear aunt again.' "'Well, now, my dear aunt, he's gone,' continued the nephew, in a mock-reproachful tone. "'I'm quite sure he heard all you said, and thought it very inhospitable.' "'Nonsense, Charles. He could not hear me, I'm sure,' replied Lady Fleetwood, going to the window to see if it were open. "'Is that your carriage?' "'Why, it is loaded like a wagon.' "'Well, it may be,' answered her nephew, "'or more like a stage-coach licensed to carry twelve outside, "'for there are the nine muses and the three graces. "'I'm afraid it would come under the penalties of the act, however, "'for there are moreover two or three Apollos, half a dozen Venuses, "'to say nothing of Seneca and Aristides, Osiris and Asis and Galatea.' "'I intend, my dear aunt, to have them all arranged here in this very drawing-room. "'Your room will look like a Valhalla, or a studio, or a Greek temple, "'or Spode's manufactory, or a stonemason's shop, "'and you shall have a helmet and a shield and an owl and path for Minerva.' "'Indeed, Charles, you are mad, I think,' said Lady Fleetwood. "'The room is small enough as it is, without being loaded with graces and muses and all sorts of things.' "'Tell my servant to open the cases when he comes back,' cried unpitying Charles Marston, as Lady Fleetwood's footman entered with a note, and bid him get seven men to help him and bring up the statues. "'I always have my own way, my dear aunt. I will see your room classically decorated. And then, if you do not like your marble palace, you can throw the statues out of the window, or get in a number of porters to do it for you. They will be capital metal for macadamizing the roads.' "'Then the people will say you have been playing at marbles, you know, "'and it will all pass off as a joke.' 
"'Charles, Charles, do let me have one moment's peace to read what Maria says,' exclaimed Lady Fleetwood. "'Really, I had forgotten what a wild creature you are, or else you are worse than ever.' "'Mere exuberance of spirits, my dear aunt, at seeing you and England once more,' replied Charles Marston. "'But I'll be serious. Nay, I am quite serious. What does Maria say? Where is she? When shall I have the pleasure of giving her a kiss?' it is not every man who has the privilege of kissing such a lovely girl gratis i long for it i assure you nay i am quite serious i have several very serious things to talk to you about most profound but somehow my dear aunt flea when i see you i get quite boyish again you are so charming it's a pity the prayer-book says we must not marry our mother's sister you are the only woman who would suit me in the whole world indeed you are there i'm as grave as a judge read your note read your note and tell me all about maria afterwards and sitting down charles bent his head gazed at his clasped hands and fell into a fit of thought to all appearance much more deep than his rattling manner would have led one to suppose his mind capable of sustaining for two minutes There maria does not return till to-morrow said lady fleetwood finishing the reading of her note then i shall have you and the cod all to myself replied charles marston looking up with one of his gay laughs but instantly resuming a more serious tone he said and now my dear aunt i have three very grave subjects to talk to you about indeed exclaimed lady fleetwood putting on an important look what may they be charles i am sure i am ready to give you any advice in my power dear creature growled charles marston as if she thought i ever took anybody's advice but to the point has a gentleman of the name of frank middleton called to inquire for me within the last week or two oh dear yes exclaimed lady fleetwood he called yesterday i forgot to tell you as if she had had time to tell me anything said charles his card is in the dish continued lady fleetwood there is no address on it or i would have written to him to say you were not expected for some months that would have been kind said her nephew now how the deuce am i to find him out oh he will call again he said he would call in a day or two replied his aunt why is frank middleton exclaimed charles he seems to have divined you my dear aunt lady fleetwood looked bewildered and now continued her nephew can you tell me what my mysterious uncle scriven wrote to me for to come back directly as he wanted to see me on particular business i always like to meet my excellent uncle prepared with full forethought of what is to come next and he was as dark in his communication as the sphinx's mouth no did he send for you exclaimed lady fleetwood he did not tell me a word about it how strange i saw him only yesterday and he was talking about you but he did not say a word he was always very close and discreet you know charles wise man said charles marston and he fell into thought again for a moment or two pray my dear aunt what was he saying about me he inquired after this pause oh i don't recollect nothing particular i believe replied lady fleetwood the colour growing a little deeper in her cheek oh ho a secret said charles to himself and then continued aloud 
well my dear aunt i know you have a short memory and i know my uncle never tells you anything of importance for he says you forget it as soon as you hear it he is very wrong there said lady fleetwood who rather piqued herself upon her powers of recollection for i never forget anything then what was it he said inquired charles abruptly oh i do not know it was intended for your ears replied lady fleetwood or that maria would like such a thing to be talked about then it was about maria too said charles with a laugh now i know all about it it was that maria was dying with love for me and that i was wandering all over the world flirting with every pretty woman i met well i dare say she will not be much obliged to him for saying that he did not say that at all my dear charles replied lady fleetwood in a little alarm he only said what a good thing it would be if you and maria were to marry and i thought so too for you are very fond of each other and you are both only children and poor orphans exclaimed charles marston laughing heartily well matrimony is as good as any other orphan asylum i don't think it will do my dear aunt we are more like brother and sister than lovers however to my third profound problem now tell me dear lady mine do you recollect a certain mr hayley who was once my uncle's partner to be sure answered lady fleetwood don't you charles why his son poor henry i recollect him perfectly dear aunt replied charles gravely my head is not such a colander nor my heart either that people can slip out of either one or the other even in ten years but what i want to know is this had not mr hayley a sister yes to be sure he had replied lady fleetwood a nice quiet good sort of creature devoted to her brother and the poor boy she used to play beautifully upon the piano and sing i don't care a pin about that said charles i never saw her more than two or three times but what i wish to know is what was her name her name her name said lady fleetwood her name was rebecca i think which in the hebrew means plump said charles marston well when i last saw her she was thin enough no indeed charles she was quite the contrary said lady fleetwood i do not mean to say that she was fat but oh say she was fat if you like dear aunt replied charles marston laughing she is not here to listen and i won't betray you so it will not pain her i would not pain a fly willingly charles answered his relation i am sure you would not said her nephew laying his hand upon hers affectionately but now the case is my dear aunt how can we rescue this poor thing from a situation of great misery you must know that i should have been in town last night but that my carriage broke down on a miserable wild common it had to be mended and while a blacksmith was being sent for winkworth and i wandered on and met with a poor crazy woman in rags and wretchedness who we found had been living there in a dilapidated hovel for some years with an orphan boy whose mother had been very kind to her as long as the poor thing lived herself as soon as i saw her i thought that her face was not unknown to me you remember miss hayley had very peculiar large black eyes but six or seven years have passed since hayley gave up business altogether and went to live over at highgate and i have not seen his sister since 
some words that she dropped however led my mind back to the past though all she said was rambling and incoherent and the more i think of this the more i am convinced that it is poor henry Haley's aunt good gracious cried lady fleetwood that is very sad indeed i am so sorry that i did not go again to see them at highgate i went twice but never found her and she did not return my call and your uncle was so angry i had been at all that i did not go back i heard that Haley himself was dead some time ago and i always intended to inquire for his sister but just then came poor isabella's death you know nobody who knows you my dear aunt can suppose you would be unkind to any one replied charles marston but something must be done for this poor thing certainly certainly replied lady fleetwood i will talk to your uncle about it and i'm sure he will do nothing at all said charles almost sharply or at best put her into a cheap madhouse where she will be dieted upon gruel and maltreated by keepers worse off than she is now i will go down to-morrow or the next day and see about the matter myself in the meantime both winkworth and i have done something to make her and the boy more comfortable and who is this mr winkworth asked lady fleetwood whose mind was of that peculiar species which may be called the collateral one of those minds that are always carried away to one side by the slightest possible circumstance to which a word or a sound or a look is ever one of hippomenes apples and sets the wits running after it with all the speed of an atalanta who is mr winkworth he seems to have become a great favourite of yours charles he has laid me under the greatest possible obligation replied her nephew smiling indeed how was that inquired his aunt why he was kind enough to permit me to save his life answered charles you must know as i was riding along not a hundred miles from a place called antioch which i dare say you never heard of oh dear yes said lady fleetwood it's in the bible yes and in syria into the bargain continued charles but as i was saying as i was riding along not a hundred miles from antioch with servants and arabs and all manner of people with me i came to a place under the high rocks when i suddenly heard half a dozen shots fired my guide thought it would be better to wait a little till the firing was over but i judged it proper to ride on and see what it was about so when we turned the corner of a great black overhanging rock like westminster abbey turned topsy-turvy i saw two or three unfortunate servants upon the ground rather silent and quite still with about a dozen other fellows with blackish faces long guns and a great deal of white cotton about them two of whom were taking aim at the only one of the travellers left alive in other words mr winkworth who for his part was trying to cover his angles which are many by the way with his horse he had got a long pistol in his hand but that was nothing against guns you know my dear aunt and besides twelve to one is not fair play so i spurred on and my fellows being obliged to spur after though a little unwillingly did very well when it came to fighting and we drove the banditti up into the hills shooting one or two of them we then came back and found my poor countryman mourning over his dead he was wounded himself so i was obliged to stay and nurse him and we have travelled together ever since but who is he what is he demanded lady fleetwood 
after she had exclaimed upon her nephew's peril and praised heaven for his escape well my dear aunt as to who he is i never thought of inquiring answered charles and as to what he is i can but answer he is certainly a gentleman a very well-informed amiable clever person a little testy very eccentric and old bachelorish but kind-hearted generous and benevolent and moreover evidently very rich though he has his own particular ways out of which he does not choose to be put well if he is rich that does not signify said lady fleetwood now would not any one who heard that think you the most mercenary old creature in the world exclaimed charles you who would give away your last nightcap to a beggar but my dear you know there are so many impostors said his aunt with a very sagacious air every one of whom would take you in in a moment replied her nephew however to set your mind at rest mr winkworth would not consent even to take a place in my carriage till he had stipulated that he was to pay one half of all the expenses this satisfied lady fleetwood's first doubts doubts which she entertained merely upon abstract theory for she was or chose to be supposed the most suspicious person in the world at a distance but at close quarters she was soon overcome charles marston's carriage had by this time returned and an hour was spent in unpacking an imperial the nephew assuring his aunt that in ten minutes her drawing-room would be full of statues and she poor lady begging pitifully but in vain to be excused from receiving the three graces and the nine muses merciless charles marston would not relieve her mind in the least till at length twelve beautiful small alabaster figures none of them a foot high were brought in and found easy accommodation upon consoles and chiffonniers much to the delight of the good lady who declared that they were the most exquisite things ever seen and thanked him over and over again for the gift when all this was done lady fleetwood pressed her nephew to go at once and see his uncle but charles had a fit of restiveness upon him no my dear aunt i won't he said my uncle has something disagreeable to tell me or he would not have sent such a way and i am resolved to stay one day at peace in the midst of the great capital so here i remain unless you absolutely want to get rid of me not at all charles of course replied lady fleetwood but only i think it would be a great pity for you to offend your uncle you know that he has no other male relation and he must be enormously rich i really do not care whether he is rich or poor answered charles i am as rich as or indeed richer than he is for thanks to my father's generosity i have as much as i want and i am quite sure my uncle scriven could not say that so there he sat discussing many things with his aunt telling her strange stories of his adventures in foreign lands all true indeed but tinged in the telling with a gleam of the marvellous for the purpose of exciting lady fleetwood's astonishment in that endeavour he was very successful for the organ of wonder was quite sufficiently developed in her head and the day passed over very pleasantly till it was time for charles to seek a lodging for the night which he easily found at the hotel opposite where his friend mr winkworth had already taken up his quarters before he bade his aunt farewell however he gave directions to her footman if mr middleton called to inquire particularly where he was to be found in london 
and to let him know that his two friends mr winkworth and mr marston were at the hotel and then came inquiries from lady fleetwood as to who this other crony of her nephew's could be i will not stop to tell you all my dear aunt replied charles who by this time had his hat in his hand suffice it that he is the most charming man you ever saw take care you do not find him too charming he is quite a don alonzo-ish sort of man pale dark wonderfully handsome more than six feet high with a sabre cut across his face sufficient to win the hearts of all the women in london he is a colonel in the spanish service and has all sorts of orders and chains though he is not above seven or eight-and-twenty i believe his mother was a spanish lady i think indeed somebody told me so but at all events he is quite the person to fall in love with if you are inclined my dear aunt my dear charles how can you be so absurd exclaimed his aunt but now you have not told me how you met with him i'll keep that for a bon bouche replied charles and walked away to his hotel End of chapter eight